You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Brian, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular by Michael Jordan! And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, this is the second episode of our playoffs format, and today we're going to be highlighting the 2-7 series in the East, the Toronto Raptors versus the Indiana Pacers. This series has ended up being a lot closer than most predictions had it. Currently it's tied at two games apiece, and heading back to Toronto for Game 5 on Tuesday afternoon. In our first segment, we're going to be focusing on the Raptors side with Joseph Cacharo. Joseph is a supervising basketball editor at Canada'sTheScore.com, and he owns a 2-0 record in ping pong games against professional athletes. Then, after a brief break, we'll switch over to the other side and get the Pacers' perspective from Ben Gibson, assistant editor of 8.9 Seconds and contributor to HoopsHabit.com both of which are on the fan-sided network. When Ben was in high school, he also had a personal fan club and cheering section at his high school football games. But without further ado, here's Joseph Cacharo. Hey Joseph, how's it going? Good man, how are you guys? We're doing really well. We really appreciate you coming on. The Pacers-Raptors series is getting a little interesting, probably too interesting for the Raptors, but they're tied now at two games apiece. I'm wanting to know from your perspective, for the Raptors to win Game 5 and take control of the series again, what player performance or particular aspect of the game do you think will be most critical for the Raptors to get that done? I mean, I think the obvious answer most people would give is, you know, they got to get something from DeMar DeRozan because right now they're literally getting nothing. He's been awful offensively. Obviously, Paul George dominated him on that, on that end uh, with his defense. And the other thing, too, is DeMar has been very inattentive on the defensive end. I mean, he's never been a great defender. He's not the kind of guy that you're going to put on the opposing team's best player, but he's also not usually this bad. And he's just been atrocious on both ends of the floor. Even game, I think it was game three, when everyone was kind of talking or tweeting about how DeMar was back because he scored 21 points. I think he shot six of 19 or seven of 19 in that game. So uh, just overall, he's been pretty awful. I think that's, that's the one area people would look at. But I think even outside of DeMar, this team can win with DeMar not playing well, if they're generating good looks for everyone else, if they're moving the ball. That's something Kyle Lowry actually spoke about that today at practice. He said, you know, to look for a Raptors team that moves the ball a little more and and creates better shots. And I think really that's the key. I think if they move the ball and create open looks for guys like Lowry or like Terrence Ross or Patrick Patterson, that they'll be fine in the end. I just, I think as, as much as the ghosts of playoff past haunt this team, I just think they're such a better team than the Pacers that at some point in the series, it has to show. And I think uh, I think it will over the next couple games. Yeah, you mentioned Demar's poor play so far this season, especially shooting. Indiana's defense has really stifled the Raptors around the perimeter, especially. They're shooting only twenty seven percent from three after being fifth in the league in the re- regular season at thirty seven percent. And Demar's definitely had his shooting struggles, but the other All Star guard, Kyle Lowry's not especially doing better either, despite them relying on him to play upwards of 39 minutes per game through the first four games. For the guard play and around the perimeter, is that 
just the issue of the shots not falling a lot for the Raptors or something else wrong with the offense or something that the Pacers are doing right with their defense? I mean, I think it's definitely evident that they, they game plan to, to take away DeMar and Kyle as the two all-stars. And I know, you know, over the last couple of years, it's, it's no secret that one of the, the ways to beat the Raptors is, you know, you put pressure on Kyle and DeMar, whether it's trapping them on pick and rolls or whatever it is, and kind of force the ball out of their hands. And whether it's them panicking or forcing up bad shots instead of moving the ball, I know it's often been a recipe for success for teams that do defend them that way. So I think, yeah, it might be a little bit of shots that normally fall not falling, but I think it's also a lot of Indiana's defense, you know, forcing Kyle and DeMar into either rushing a play or rushing a bad shot. And it's just had this domino effect that's made the Raptors offense look pretty atrocious in, you know, the majority of this series. DeMar DeRozan such an efficient player. That's what makes him so valuable. He's able to get to the free throw line, especially for a shooting guard who doesn't really shoot threes particularly well. It just makes him so efficient when he's able to do that. This postseason, unfortunately, he's been getting to the line fewer than four times per game, less than half of the frequency that he was able to during the regular season. Do you think it's a combination of a lot of things, postseason officiating, him not being aggressive enough, maybe not being um, at the places on the floor where he needs to be? Is it kind of all of the above? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of, of all of the above. Like, again, I think Paul George has you know, defended DeMar as well. as I, I think the only other player that I really remember doing this to DeMar consistently is Jimmy Butler whenever the Bulls play the Raptors. But Paul George has just completely shut him down. He's in his face. DeMar doesn't have a lot of space. And even you'll notice a lot of times, you know, the Raptors will kind of try to use screens and a bunch of actions to try to get DeMar free from George so that he'll get the ball or turn the corner with someone else on him. And, you know, I don't know if it's the screens not being set right or what it is, but George is having no problem getting through them and just sticking with DeMar. Like they cannot get DeMar away from Paul George, no matter what they try. And then uh, the thing is, you mentioned it with, you know, DeMar's efficiency is entirely tied to his free throw rate. If he's not getting to the free throw line, he's an inefficient volume shooter because he takes a lot yeah. of long twos and he lives in the mid range. And, you know, he's kind of a throwback two guard that way. And look, it's, it's worked for him. He's a two time all-star. He does manage to score efficiently because of how crafty he is and getting to the line. But man, if, you know, if he's not getting to the line and his three's not falling, which is often not, he, he's got some serious issues in trying to score efficiently. So when you're trying to run your offense through him, I mean, th- th- these are the results you get, which is why so many Raptors fans and media people and just observers in general are so kind of befuddled as to why, you know, if it's not working, why doesn't DeMar either move the ball more? Why don't they, you know, obviously if you can't totally bench him. He's one of your all-stars. Dwayne Casey's not going to bring him off the bench, you know, after all this. But, you know, you can cut his minutes, which they did in game three. They basically sat him in the fourth quarter because Lowry and some of the reserves and some of the other guys were playing really well. Norman Powell, a rookie, was giving them good minutes. And the Raps blew the Pacers out that night. And a lot of it had to do with them cutting DeMar's minutes because he was so ineffective. So I, I really think, I mean, I, I don't personally see what's going to change from DeMar's perspective because Paul George is still going to be there. So unless he has a night where he's just hitting a lot of these tough shots that he probably shouldn't be taking to begin with, I don't really see how he's going to be much better in the next, you know, two to three games. But I still think the Raptors can succeed despite that. Yeah, and the two guys specifically that sort of mitigate the poor play from DeMar DeRozan off the bench, I think, are Corey Joseph and Norman Powell. Norman Powell is really interesting because he was 
pretty great at Vegas Summer League, but he didn't play that much this season until around March, really, for the for the Raptors. But he's having an increasing role in the playoffs. You mentioned it in your previous answer about DeRozan, but do you think because of the play of those two guys, there is sort of a little bit of a shorter leash for DeMar if he does get off to those types of bad starts that Casey would be more willing to pull him in, in favor of those two guys? Well, I think that's the hope. I think the hope is that the leash would be shorter. Um, and again, it, it definitely wasn't game three, you know, but in three of the four games, that hasn't really been the case. Casey's, you know, just ridden with his guy who's used DeMar. I mean, maybe, I guess it's easier to to look at that in the first four games. Maybe it will change now that their backs are a little more against the wall. And, you know, if they were to lose tomorrow night and and now they're playing for their lives in game six or if there was a to go to a game seven then i suspect casey would have a shorter leash because at that point you know despite what masai ujiri said uh, a couple of weeks ago i think a lot of people would see it as doing casey coaching for his job at that point you know staring at three straight first round exits so i think i think the leash will get shorter over the next two to three games if tomorrow continues to play like this because I, I just think it has to i don't think i don't think you can win relying on a guy that much who's playing that poorly you mentioned it, three straight first round exits for Dwayne Casey earlier this episode. You called it the ghost of playoffs pass for Toronto. Yeah. They've really struggled in the playoffs, not played up to their expectations. Last season, yeah. they got swept. They haven't made the second round in 15 years, and they're 0 and 8 in games one in franchise history. When they lost game one this series, was there just a, another sense of apprehension or a, a feeling of here we go again around the team yeah, and the players and the fans in Toronto? Like you mentioned all, all those numbers, you know, but how long it's been since this team won a playoff series. Uh, they've actually never won a best of seven series because the only playoff series they've ever won was a best of five against the Knicks in 2001. And, you know, like I'm sure you guys have seen you know, out there, like the images of the fans here and people outside the arena and how crazy the fan base is. It's incredible. The support's ridiculous. But there is a serious, serious inferiority complex that kind of rose up over the years of, you know, being the only team in Canada. And all like people in the States don't pay attention to this team and they never get national TV games. So in the last couple of years, you know, the Raptors have embraced that with the whole We the North thing and, you know, using the outsider mentality as a source of strength. But, you know, at the back of everyone's mind is still this this angst about the playoff ghosts and the demons. And, you know, are they truly relevant? Can they be relevant unless they make a deep run? And are they even good enough to make a deep run? And then last year, they got off to that great start. They were first in the East, you know, at the midway point of the season until the Hawks took off. And again, it went downhill. They don't even end up winning a game in the playoffs. And then, so yeah, this year, you know, you win 56 games. You're 30 games above 500. And I think people went into it thinking, okay, like, you know, this has to be the year. There's no way this can happen again with this team. They're just so much better than the Pacers. They should be a threat to make the East final. And then you come out and lay an egg in your first game again at home. You know, not only three straight years of potentially losing in the first round, but in all three of those years, having home court advantage, being the higher seed. So, yeah, yeah the angst in the building in game one, as it was very evident that they weren't going to win that game, was pretty ridiculous. And, you know, I don't want to imagine what it's going to be like in that arena tour if they drop that game because there is a lot of tension now in this fan base about about this team. And, you know, if they can't get out of the first round this year, what it means for the team. Because I think Zach Lowe wrote about it last week, but despite the regular season success, and they have been one of the more consistent teams over the last three years, if you can't get out of the first round after all this, it's something with the fabric of your team is obviously wrong. Yeah, it would be an incredible shame if they couldn't advance past the first round. And also, just they had the All-Star game 
in Toronto this season. There's so much excitement around the city, and it's really a great basketball town. You would just hate for it to go down like that. We've talked a lot about the offense side of the ball for the Raptors, but on defense, I want to learn more about how you handle Paul George. He's obviously a beast offensively, such a tremendous player. And if you look from games one through four, his points each game has progressively decreased. So that's a good sign for the Raptors, but he's obviously going to get his points. How are they game planning for him from a defensive perspective? You know, I honestly think, uh, I don't think it's, it's anything that, you know, complicated right out of the box. I think they've got good individual defenders on the perimeter, specifically, obviously, Damari Carroll who they went out and spent big on last summer for this exact reason, because guys like Paul George and Joe Johnson and these big kind of wing players or forwards or shooting guards always torch them. So they go out and get Damari Carroll. And you know, in game three, Damari Carroll just kind of dominated Paul George on that end of the floor. He, he forced him into tough shots. He made him get into uncomfortable positions where George was catching the ball, you know, outside of his comfort zone, which is not what was happening in game one and two. So I think from the Paul George perspective, I think you give him a, a healthy dose of Damari Carroll and Norman Powell. Sometimes you'll see them even put a bigger body like Patrick Patterson on him just to give him maybe a different look. And I think that's really all you can do with Paul George. And I think if you t- force him into tough shots, Paul George is still going to take those shots. So that's what you hope. You hope that a guy like Carroll can kind of bother him, disrupt him, make him catch it somewhere he doesn't want to catch it, force up a tough shot. And, you know, he's going to get his 25 points. But if it's on 8 of 20 shooting instead of, you know, 11 of 16 shooting, you'll obviously take that. Right. Uh, I think the big thing with, with the Raptors against the Pacers is, and, and overall the Raptors defense has actually been very solid this series, but it's the other guys not getting going. You know, Monta Ellis hasn't had that great of a series. George Hill had one good game, which was game four. You know, last game, they were basically beat by George Hill and Ian Mahimi, which, you know, yeah. I don't think many people see that coming again. So I think the key is, you know, the guys like Carroll and Powell and Patterson, whoever else gets a chance at George, forcing him into a tough shooting night and just, you know, hoping that you play the percentages and, and guys like George Hill and Mahimi and Miles Turner don't beat you. Another bright spot for the Raptors has been the play of Jonas Valanciunas. When he's on the court, he's really showing at times that he's probably the best big man in this series. His points and rebounds per minute are through the roof right now. But the key word there is when he's on the court because he has a propensity to get into foul trouble and it's something he's dealt with his whole career. What are the keys for JV staying on the court and also has he been so dominant there? Well, I think... From his dominance um, just has a lot to do with the fact that I, I don't think the Pacers have a true starting caliber big man on the roster. You know, I think Miles Turner is going to be a good player, but I don't think he can hang with JV in the post. He's not big enough or strong enough. Mahini, again, he had one good game, but JV dominated in the first three. So I think as, as long as JV's on the court against the bigs that the Pacers are throwing out there, he has a chance to be very, very forceful in the game. But like you mentioned, he has to be on the court. And whether it was in the past, you know, Dwayne Casey not trusting him defensively in the fourth quarters, or this year, him getting into foul trouble now, there's always been a reason why he kind of doesn't get the minutes or the productivity that he should. You'll notice a lot of times with Jonas, it's, it seems to be kind of brain farts, I guess you'd call them. There's, there, don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of bad calls against him in this series, but there's also been a lot of times where, you know, those hands will be up and you'll be practicing the art of verticality. And then, you know, at the last second, he kind of, slaps down to try to swipe the ball or his arms will come down and those are when they call him. so for him i guess he just has to be more disciplined you know stick to the principles whether it's verticality whatever you want to call it but you know stick to your principles and not fouling and, and also hope that the refs give you the benefit of the doubt because there was a couple times 
even in game three when they blew Pacers out, where JV would get pushed from the back, try to get back into play, and then he would get called for the loose ball foul. So, I mean, it's a little bit of both. He's going to be more disciplined. He probably has to hope for a better whistle. But yeah, they, they probably need him at this point more than they need DeMar DeRozan just because of how impactful JV could be against this, sorry to say it, but this crappy uh, rotation of bigs the Pacers are trying out there. Joseph, thank you so much for spending the time to talk with us today. We'd be remiss if we let you go without getting your prediction for the rest of the series. So what do you have? You know what? This is not a, uh, a hometown call at all. It's, it's honestly what I think is coming. I, I think the Pacers have won their last game. I'm going to stick to Raptors and six. I think they win the next two games. And maybe subconsciously, that's me just hoping that my city doesn't burn because if uh, if this team loses in the first round again, things are going to get messy here. Well, hopefully that confidence pays off for you. Thanks again for joining us and hope for the best for the Raptors in the rest of the series. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey Ben, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Going well. How are you guys doing? We're going well too. The Raptors and Pacers series is now tied up at 2-2. What do you think are the keys for the Pacers to continue their momentum from Game 4 as the series moves back to Toronto? I think what they've done well is the defense has essentially done what they were supposed to do. Uh, we knew going into the series that the Raptors you know, needed the three ball and that the Pacers defended it well. And so far that's been the case. I think the problem is, as far as the Pacers keeping things going, is not having anyone outside of Paul George that you can seem to rely on night to night for that offensive outburst. Uh, I think in games two and three, that was kind of a big part of it. Paul George had to put the team on his back, and in game one it worked, but you can only do so much even as a star player like that. You're talking about getting more than just contributions offensively from Paul George. We saw Jan Mahinmi and George Hill step up in game four. And I'm thinking it doesn't have to be the same person each night. The Pacers do have a good deal of depth. If they're defending at the level that they've been and they get one other big output each game from someone other than Paul George, are they in okay shape or do they need more than just that? I think so because... At least while Frank Vogel's been running the team, defense has always been his calling card, and offense has always been a little bit looser, for better or for worse. And I think, you know, we still haven't had really a Monta Ellis game yet. You know, C.J. Miles could get hot or something. But yeah, if, if one other player has a particularly good night, I think things are fine. But it's been that lack of consistency all year long is why they, you know, they would beat Oklahoma City and then the Spurs in the same week. And then I think they dropped a game to the Nets in that in that same period. and. Just not having a second go-to guy scoring-wise, that's been incredibly frustrating for them. That's really been their issue all year long. And uh, if they can get that one guy, they can win game five. If they don't, they could get ugly again like we saw in games two and three. And a lot of experts thought this series was going to be one where Toronto had a really big advantage. Most people didn't give Indiana much of a chance to upset. What do you think the biggest adjustments 
or preparations Frank Vogel made coming into this series to make this really look like a real series now at 2-2? I think it's mainly uh, kind of the same thing, the defense and being able to control um, them shooting three-pointers. That's always kind of been how uh, his defense would work. You run guys off the line, and usually you had Roy Hibbert for years, but now it's kind of Jan Mahimi in there. And I think it's just uh, it's not a good matchup for the Raptors, more or less, than the adjustments Vogel make. Obviously, he's making tweaks here and there. He uh, put Miles Turner in the lineup in game four. But I just think it's it's a one matchup the Raptors could have had in the first round that they would have been particularly just not suited to, you know, sweep or, you know, win the series in five games. Like, I'm not shocked it's going to go, uh, you know, six games or whatever, but I just think, like I said, uh, more than the adjustments, I just think being able to run them off the line and then have some interior defense with uh, Mahimi and then uh, Miles Turner now playing a little bit of backup to that. I think that's just really has been what worked. And when it works on a given night, you know, they can win. And I just, I just fear that it's going to be another ugly game, game five, uh, when it goes back to Toronto, because it just seems like the Raptors are going to have a bounce back game. Yeah, the thing you keep referring to, the Raptors shooting from three, in this series, they're shooting only 27.6% from three after being fifth in the league at 37% during the regular season. More than that, they're also really limiting DeMar DeRozan on offense and on defense, actually. In game one, he had a terrible game, obviously. He said that after game one that he wouldn't shoot five out of 19 again, and technically is not wrong after... The other three games, he went 5 of her 18, 7 for 19, and 4 for 15. What have the Pacers done to keep him in check for those games this series? Paul George. I mean, that could just be the answer there. But I think it's just not having Paul George in the NBA for a year. People kind of forgot how much of a lockdown defender he could be. And just with some of the other guys on the Pacers being able to take care of Lowry or uh, anybody else, you know, he's freed up to shut down DeRozan. And I think it's mainly just that and also limiting who DeRozan can then dump the ball off to. It's always been that way for the Pacers when Paul George was in the lineup. He can at least usually slow down the best player. And unless it's LeBron or somebody like that, he can shut them down. And I think that's just what we're seeing is the defense working out and Paul George just doing his job as a lockdown defender. Speaking of how they're defending DeMar DeRozan, do you get a sense that he's getting increasingly frustrated that he's not been able to live at the line because a huge part of his efficiency and his value this season, especially being a guy that doesn't shoot threes particularly well, is getting to the line early and often, and he just hasn't been able to do that this series. I think you're right, and for the Raptors as a whole, I can't remember what the record was this year, but when they played the Pacers, I should say when the Pacers put teams on the line a lot, that's really been the issue, and they've been able to avoid that with the Raptors. And I think it's just a little bit of playoff basketball. Um, I can't think of who it was last year, but it seems like something that comes up where we talk about you don't get those same calls. I, it's like Harden. That's who it was. You know, you get a lot of those calls in the regular season, but I think we've seen in this series they've let a good bit of things go. And when he can't get those points on the line, he just, like you said, the frustration starts to build and – you know, unless you can get Paul George into foul trouble and get to the line, it's it's probably going to remain that way because, you know, again, Paul George is one of the best two-way players in the league, and I think he's reminded everybody that he is just that. Yeah, he's been so good. A cool stat for me is that in each of the Pacers' two wins this series, they've scored 25 points off turnovers. That's a large amount. 
And I don't know if 25 is realistic necessarily, but do you think that for Toronto, that's easy to fix? Or is it something about the Pacers' pressure defense that's giving them serious problems and something that the Pacers could easily replicate moving forward? Well, there's kind of two parts to it. I think it will be a little bit hard for the Pacers to replicate it just because during the season they were middle of the pack when it comes to points off turnovers. But now they've, I think in the playoffs at least, uh, they're leading the league right now. So while that's going to be harder to replicate, I, I think it's something that, again, the Pacers just with their matchups are able to do well. I think something that people forget was George Hill just because he's not always um, an assertive scorer. Like defensively speaking, he's one of the best guards as far as defense goes. And I think getting those points off of him has been huge for them. And I think it's got to just do with the way the Pacers have played defense. I don't think it's so much the Raptors have been uh, careless. I just think it's something that uh, the Pacers did well all year. I forget if they led the league, but they were up there at least for part of the season and uh, creating steals. And while that doesn't always equal uh, good defense, you know, they were able to turn that into points at times. And especially when they can kind of get them out the front there and get a guy on a fast break. I think that's when they'll be able to re- replicate kind of what we saw in game one and game four. But just like I've kind of mentioned, the inconsistency we've seen from them all season and even in the series, that's kind of what uh, scares me more is just, is it going to be another game where that just doesn't seem to happen for whatever reason for Indiana? Yeah, as you said, there have been a lot of inconsistent performances from some of the uh, non-Paul George guys on Indiana one guy who had a really great game in Game 4 is Jan Mahaney. Do you think that might have been just a fluke, or do you think we can expect contributions like that from him as the series continues? Also, he's battling a bad back, but people don't realize that he actually did have a quite a solid season this year. And when we had Jared Wade on to talk about the Pacers earlier in this year, he's talked a lot about the improvements that Mahaney has made this season from last season. Yeah, starting off with... Mahimi this season it it was a surprise like uh, one of our posts from a preseason game was the headline was you never thought we'd post Jan Mahimi highlights did you and uh, he had like 16 points in a preseason game and that was pretty shocking but I don't know exactly what he did other than he looks less clumsy on offense but it really just went from him having been completely untrustable (laughs) when you threw the ball his direction to uh, he just knows when to, you know, he doesn't waste a lot of his shots. He's, you know, always shooting near the basket. He can hit a little bit from uh, beyond eight feet, but I think it's just, like I said, I, I can't exactly describe what changed other than he just wasn't giving the ball away on these weird turnovers and, or just not catching the ball. And that was just surprising. I don't think that he's going to have another 20 point game. Although when he has had good offensive streak, they have come in uh, bunches but I just think with the back it's it was hard enough to believe that with a bad back he was having that game and which was a career high in points for him and definitely his best playoff game ever but the bad back yeah I just don't think that's gonna be something he can replicate he's good for usually nine points a game but uh I was just shocked the way he was able to essentially neutralize Valanciunas because that was obviously what was killing the Pacers in the first or in the second and third game but yeah I I don't know if he's going to replicate it offensively, but I think he can at least slow down the, you know, dozens of rebounds it felt like Jonas was getting. 
And in game four, was it relieving to see the Pacers be able to pull out a win? Despite, as you said before, they really rely on Paul George putting up these otherworldly numbers. He didn't have that good of a game in game four. And actually, his points have been decreasing each game of the series. Is there a little bit of a worry there that the Raptors may have adjusted to how to defend George, too? I don't think so. I think in game four, him scoring less was a lot more of him knowing that he didn't have to put the team on his back. I think in that game, they were able to play the sort of basketball that you know, they're, you're hoping they're going to have in any game. Because what was seemingly happening before is he would pass a ball or just whoever got the ball to someone else, the ball would just stop where it seemed like there was plenty of plays in game four where you know, if they got into their half-court offense, you know, the ball kept moving. It was, it didn't matter who was shooting because they were making that second and third pass to get to the open man. I don't think it's a big deal that he, his points went down in that game. But yeah, I don't think we can expect the, uh, you know, you can't hope that he's going to get 28 points in every playoff game. That's more the concern to me in the sense that going back to the not having that second guy, like it didn't matter in game four, but I think as long as everyone else is scoring, you know, he's going to kind of turn off the gas a little bit. So I don't think that was a big deal in game four, but obviously we'll find out tomorrow night. Yeah, we know Miles Turner can be really good at times, and he's so young. Developing that consistency will be important for him. He finally got the start in game four. Unfortunately, he shot just two of 13 from the field. Are those ups and downs just natural for a guy his age? And also, do you think they should stick with him as a starter as opposed to LaVoy Allen? I think so. I Yeah, I agree that he should stay the starter. Usually Allen's been good for offensive rebounds and just at least being kind of a neutral effect on the team at worst. We just felt like he's been uh, kind of dragging things down in this playoff series. But for Turner, I think that, yeah, this is just, you got to think in a way, two years ago, you know, since like two seasons ago, he's playing against high school kids. You know, even last year, he's playing against college players. So he's going to have the inconsistencies, but um, he's kind of had a little bit more of an upswing after really bottoming out a few weeks ago. You know, he, he's going to have those, but I think that's just more of his age. And, you know, if he can get those secondary blocks working with Mahimi, I think, yeah, you leave him in the starting lineup. If I had to bet, he'll he'll probably hit more than two shots in game five. But you would hope you're, you're going to have your ups and downs. He's he just turned 20. So he's basically a 19 year old when you really think about it. You're going to have those ups and downs. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go, can we get your prediction for the rest of this series? It's a really interesting series to look at. As much as I would want to say the Pacers are going to win in seven or even in six, I just think the Raptors are the number two seed for a reason. And kind of in these games that they've lost, they've shot so poorly. I think part of that's the Pacers, but I think the other part's just in the two games that the Pacers have won, kind of a lot of things have went their way, like shots dropping no matter how contested they were. So I, I, I would pick Toronto in seven at this point because it won't shock me if the Pacers pick up another win, but it's just hard to see this team with the lack of consistency they've had all year, you know, pull up two more wins and much less trying to get one in Toronto at this point. It just, I, I'd love to see it happen, but if you ask me to bet money on it, I'm going to pick Toronto in seven. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. And we got so much great information from you. Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. I hope I uh, at least answered a few questions coherently. 